What a wonderfully evocative setting. A man alone on his very own island. And then his peace is disrupted by this body. I'm Roger and this is Bookshook. And today's podcast is all about the first half of January's book, An Island by Karen Jennings, published in 2021. So first off, a very happy new year. The idea of this podcast is that we'll spend a month reading a book, hopefully together, I'll split the book into two equal halves. On the second Friday of the month, I'll share my thoughts and yours on the first half of the book, maybe make a few predictions. And when we finish reading the book, I'll publish part two of the podcast in a similar vein. That'll be on the last Friday of the month, the 28th of January. We'll decide whether it's a book we'd recommend to a friend or not. Of course, you don't have to read anything at all. If you're into Audible, then you can listen to the book, or you can do neither, of course, and just join me for the ride. I'll be summarising what happens in the book just for you, but be aware there may be spoilers. You can leave a comment or start a conversation at the Bookshook YouTube channel or send an email to bookshook at yahoo.com. Maybe you have thoughts you want to express about the book that I've missed or there's something you agree or really disagree with. I'd love to share your experiences in the next episode. Welcome to Bookshook. So I've read up to 50% on my Kindle, that's halfway, or the big chapter beginning Samuel rose from the couch. So Samuel is a lighthouse keeper on an island. He sees the plastic drum, quote, as fat as a president. What a great analogy. And it contains a refugee. The officials aren't interested in the bodies, so he has to bury them himself, except he has to put some rocks over them because the sand is very thin and tends to wash away. He discovers, though, that the man is still alive. Quote, Was it to go on like this then, this incessant movement in his home, this home that had been his alone for more than two decades of solitude? Was it to be this, this breath, this pulse, this youth, this life taking over the small cottage, seeping into the floor and walls? He began to feel breathless, to gasp his panic. So this man is alive and he is concerned that his peace is going to be shattered. He keeps some hens and one of them is being picked on. Quote, just then, squabbling broke out amongst the brood. He turned to see the other hens upon the red one, which had come outside again. They beat their wings, made attacks that caused small feathers to fly up, to hover and drop. Samuel put down the three eggs and went over, inserting his hand into the fray. The plumage of the little red hen was ruffled and there was a spot of blood above her eye, another on her naked breast. I wonder if this is going to be a symbol this red hen, for the feelings between him and the man on the island. One of them is an outcast. He feels smothered by this stranger, this outsider, and the chicken is very much an outsider, a bit like the refugee. Or perhaps to Samuel's thoughts, he is now the outsider. There's a young man, Samuel is 70 years old, a young man who's come. He may feel like he is the outsider, he is redundant and he's going to be taken over his island's going to be taken over Samuel gives the man some water and he offers him some food and is reminded of quote a gilt edged cake plate that causes him to daydream about the president who said quote we are not lost without the colonizers look at what we are in our independence he smells some burning food and that sends him down on another kind of memory trip And this time, it's of being young and evicted by the colonisers. Quote, their eviction had been spoken flatly by a translator with an accent they did not recognise. 
the arable valley was now the property of the colonists. And they say, you are to return to the mountains where monkeys belong by order of the governor. The land is no longer yours. Glory to the king and glory to the great empire. He leads the man to a wash basin. And this action leads him down another memory trip. Quote, nor did he have a toothbrush and toothpaste. It was not something that he had grown up with. Instead, he used a finger and ash or twigs chewed to a soft, wide tip. Quote, I had to take in your child when both his parents were criminals. Who else would have done that? Who else? Not any of your meeting friends and comrades. Not any of them. It was me. That's who took him in. And you sit there complaining about toothpaste. So we learn that he was imprisoned and then lived with his sister. Samuel wakes up and feels his shorts against the man's neck. Initially, it repulses him, but then he cleans them. And then the videos in his shelf make him think of suited men, hair altered by pomade. And he has another memory trip. And this is when he was begging in the city, presumably after the colonialists have taken everything. Quote, children ran amongst the buskies. They were native born, displaced or orphaned in various ways by the colonizers. They picked pockets, filched from street vendors and stooped to gather the still smoldering butts of cigarettes. Samuel's father goes to a meeting of the independence movement and Samuel reflects on his feelings for the colonizers. Finally, independence does come, but, quote, overhead aeroplanes flew for days, their passengers fleeing the country's independence. Already in the capital, the president-elect had ordered a statue and a fountain, was drawing up plans for his new home, while down below in the rubble, people were scrabbling as they had always done. Then we go on to the second day. Samuel is 70 years old and he's feeling it. It causes him to have another memory trip. This time, it causes a memory trip to the prison. Quote, the new prison was vast, so vast it had been given the nickname the palace, while it was little more than foundations. People guessed at its eventual size, the many corridors and rooms and rooms that it would contain, but soon high walls and steel gates were erected. No one approached the walls or thought to scale them, look over the top and see the progress being made. That would have been a foolish act. It was known, without the need for it to be said, that the prison was being built by order of the dictator. Within its walls, he wished to house his naysayers, his enemies, anyone that he cared to name as irksome. So I'm thinking the president-elect is set up in opposition to the dictator. I get the feeling they may both be as bad as each other. Samuel remembers being sent to prison with Maria. And then the man tries to tell him his name. The supply boat comes and he freaks out, the man does. And so Samuel helps him to hide in the lighthouse. And the people on the boat, Chimelo and his son called Winston, tell of a refugee boat and say, quote, it's some kind of international incident now. The government wants all the bodies. I've heard there are rewards, but I don't think that's true. Anyway, they're looking. That's the main point. Did you find any? And Samuel says, bodies? No, I didn't find a body. So he's protecting the man. And Chimlo goes on. He says, quote, it's some kind of international incident now. The government wants all the bodies. I've heard there are rewards, but I don't think that's true. Anyway, they're looking. That's the main point. When the boatmen leave, they mutter that it might be the last time they see Sam alive. 
Samuel goes and finds the man hiding at the top of the lighthouse. Quote, the light filled most of the circular room. There was nowhere to hide and the man stood, crouching a little behind the glass prisms. They distorted his form, refracting parts of his arm, a cheek, a patch of shirt many times over, until Samuel rounded the light, came face to face with him. He had seemed jagged, something splintered and put back together poorly. This really reminds me of Clara and the Sun when she has her religious epiphany in the barn and the light is refracted. Samuel remembers leaving the island once before. Someone called John who says, quote, you don't have to be afraid. Half the military are in jail now. The rest are at the bases. It's not like it was. We're free people again. But Samuel hasn't returned since that time. He can't cope with the clamour of people now on the mainland. So Samuel realises that his life is going to change forever. The man is here now, he is here to stay. Quote, he knew what the man had been saying and he did not want to hear it again. And he says, quote, I am to live here now. Samuel had not thought of that, had not considered what would become of the man after the boat had left. But he was here with no place to go other than where he had come from, nor any means of getting there. He was here, he was here to stay. And then we have this repeat of the refraction idea. Quote, Samuel went to the top of the stairwell, looked back over his shoulder and saw the man refracted a hundred times over. Behind the man was the sea and upon it hundreds of him floating on the water, searching for a place to land. The man represents all these many refugees who have struggled to get to safety. Samuel believes he is tripped by the man trying to get home. He hallucinates about just being released from prison and a lady helping him. She says, quote, no, you can't live there anymore. You're free now. You can't go back. Don't you have a family? Where was your home? Can you go there? And he remembers his first day in prison. He meets a nice guy called Roland who is training to be a teacher and he hopes to take his exams, but it's taken away from Samuel's cell and never seen again. And then that takes us to halfway. So questions for halfway. Is the man harming Samuel? But why would he do this? Samuel is the man's means of survival, especially since he's getting those boat trips. Is Samuel therefore imagining the man is attacking him, possibly? And the man is a real threat to Samuel's liberty. He may be just imagining the attacks. He may have just fallen in his old age and is blaming it on the man, most likely. Is the man a good man? I believe he is. Now, will Samuel survive the novel? Or will a man survive the novel? Or will they both perish? Or possibly both survive? I'm predicting that Samuel may start to hallucinate that the man is continuing to attack him. And Samuel may get killed in self-defence. Also, what were we going to learn about his lover, Meria, and his son, Leslie? And if the man is discovered, will Samuel get punished? It's a fantastic first half, full of poignancy and beautiful descriptions of this island. I'd like to spend a little bit of time talking about last month's book, Dune, by Frank Herbert. There were some very interesting comments that I read on Goodreads and on the web, and there are some that I'd like to share with you. Rajat Ubhaikar had some very interesting things to say. He says, quote, In this setting, Herbert does so much. It's unbelievable. Religion, politics, the dynamic nature of power, the effects of colonialism, our blatant destruction of our environment are themes which run parallel to the intensely exciting and labyrinthine plot. He shows the paramount importance of myth-making and religion for power to sustain over long periods of time. Man as a political animal is laid completely bare. 
He goes on to make a real-world comparison to the Middle Eastern region, highlighting the similarity in the politics, religion and the love of oil, which in this case is the spice. He concludes by saying that, quote, I almost forget this is a science fiction novel. It's that real. It is also scary and prophetic. It is a reading experience that will leave you dreaming of the grave emptiness of Arrakis and make you wish you were there to brave it all in the privileged company of the noble Fremen. Frank Herbert achieves the pinnacle of what a sci-fi author aspires to rise to, authentic world building. Thanks very much for listening. If you have any questions or comments, I'd love to hear them. Email bookshook at yahoo.com or leave a comment at the Bookshook YouTube channel. I'd also love suggestions for future books to read together. Maybe there's been one sitting on your shelf for ages which you haven't got round to reading and you just need that push to get started. Talking of next books, after I publish part two of An Island in two weeks, that's the 28th of January, February's podcast will be all about The Quiet American by Graham Greene. So get that one at the ready if you can. Anyway, I look forward to discussing the final part of An Island in two weeks. See you then. Mm -hmm.